0: Hello, my name is Lexi Davis. I'm a self-discovery coach, a yoga and meditation instructor, a love enthusiast, and a really playful human being. I serve people through my business, Alive to Enjoy, and this is Heart Snuggles, a holistic wellness podcast where I invite guests to drop into their heart space through authentic conversations and compassionate intentions, all in mini cuddly episodes, hoping that you connect to your truth in the most authentic version of yourself. I hope you enjoy.
1: Welcome everyone to Heart Snuggles. We're so happy you're here today. And I brought one of my oldest best friends from high school here. So she is incredible in every way, but please give yourself a little introduction, Case.
2: Hi, everyone. Um, First of all, Lexi, I'm so, so happy to be on your podcast. It's such an honor. And I'm just... Stoked to be able to talk with you today. Um, My name is Casey Taylor. I uh, obviously we kind of grew up together in Seattle, became friends in high school. Um, I now live in Sun Valley, Idaho Um, for a living. I'm an art consultant. I also manage a nonprofit for mental health. And um, I'm in grad school right now to become a therapist.
1: That's He's doing of, it all guys. He's doing it all. Trying
2: to. <laughs> I know.
1: Yeah. So it's definitely one of your <laughs> over, you love to overpack the schedule, but it's always with so many good things. So
2: uh, it's hard to let anything go is my issue.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so let's start with um your Scooty Fun. So tell us what it is and how it became about. And
2: yeah. Okay. So um a little bit over Four years ago, my younger brother, Will, um, Lexi, who you obviously knew, uh, died by suicide. And I had had, you know, my own mental health issues. And uh, when his death happened, it was super, super hard for me. Um, He and I were really close. And uh, kind of having the background of my own mental health stuff combined with, His, you know, ultimate death from mental health or emotional health, relational health, whatever you want to call it, death of despair, um, really kind of sparked this frustration and this anger in me, um, not with him, but more with the culture that we live in. Um, I really felt like we had a lot of pressure put on us from various forces to achieve, um, kind of these perfectionist ideals. And there wasn't necessarily a lot of support, um, given at the same time. I also really felt like a lot of people who I knew were going through difficult times tended, myself included, tended to kind of present this image of everything's great to the outside world. And so it was kind of, you know, looking at that and saying like, okay, well, A, um, you know, that external, everything's great, internal struggling, that's really isolating. B, um, it kind of presents this untrue image that, you know, everyone's doing great and you're the only one struggling. Um, And C, you know, there seems to be this external kind of pressure, like I mentioned, um, and not enough focus on resources or practices to help us get through that. So those were kind of like my starting points with the Scooty Fund. And in the very beginning, I spoke with my boyfriend at the time. Um, I spoke with um, my good friend, Tara Nielsen, who's now the vice president of our organization. And I spoke with another very good friend who helped us start it at the beginning. And they also had frustrations with the way our culture kind of views mental health. So we started without much of a plan. We knew that we wanted to address the stigma that we felt there was against um, expressing emotional distress or kind of showing our vulnerability. Uh, We wanted to help people feel less isolated as they're going through emotionally distressing times. Um, help them feel like they're not alone during those times. And we wanted to share, um, you know, the education that we had gotten through therapy or were getting at the time through therapy, the resources that, you know, had really helped us and give those back to our peer group and our community. So we decided to focus on young adults and kind of put those things into practice And we've grown quite a bit. We started one year after my brother died um, in honor of his memory. And so it's been a bit over three years that we've had this organization. And we now focus on, I like to call it like three pillars. The first is social media, kind of sharing resources, um, educational content and content that is actually young adults sharing their own stories to help people feel like it's okay to talk about these things. Um, The second pillar is in-person education. So we are currently working with a few universities um, around doing panels and presentations for their student body. We've done that with a few various organizations in the past. We're developing a program to bring into the workplace for. Peer to peer support. Um, so, you know, learning how to talk to a coworker when you're concerned and kind of breaking down that barrier. And the third pillar is raising funds for hands on crisis resources and um, significant research into the field of mental health and suicide as it affects young adults. So, that's really where we are today. We have a huge team working on, you know, all of our projects. Uh, we have multiple teams actually. And it's just been it, it, the most amazing experience for me. Um, just a process of kind of growth and healing and learning and being able to help people.
1: So, so beautiful what you've created and like, it's constantly growing. And it's I just love watching your journey with it. And like your bravery is, yeah, you are so much courage and bravery for doing that. Like, it's not easy to have that happen to you and then let alone like make something so beautiful out of it. And like, you know, like have to be confronted with it constantly. Like when you do something like that, it's like, shit, like it's so real. Like you really have to accept the reality of the situation. And yeah.
2: Right. And I think too, there's definitely that aspect going on pretty strong, especially at the beginning, but there was also kind of this, um, almost taking back of my power in a way you know, like I had no power over the situation with Will. I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't help him. Um, And by, I guess, creating an avenue where I felt like I was helping people, um, it kind of allowed me to feel like I was more, um, I don't believe anyone is necessarily in control of their lives, but it helped me feel like I was a little bit more in control of the narrative, and like if I can't do this, well, at least I can do this.
1: Yeah, and that's a beautiful thing to feel, and it's really important to have our power, you know, because especially moments like that, it just shatters everything. So, yeah, I'm glad you could find that sense of that sense of that. And um, I also want to touch on how you said died by um, suicide, and can you talk about the importance of using that language?
2: Yeah, um, so. Traditionally, when I was growing up, I always heard the phrase committed suicide. And uh, you notice the other times that we use the word committed is like committing a crime. Um, You know, I literally the only things that pop into my head are like committing a felony, committing a misdemeanor. Um, It's so closely associated with uh, that aspect of um, human experience. And... By saying "died by suicide," it you know cuts off that association. So instead of saying "committed suicide," like committed a crime, and kind of tying the negative moral value of suicide to you know abstractly to a crime, um, we're removing that moral judgment and saying this person died, and it was by suicide. You know, like saying this person died from a car accident, or this person died, you know, by, from a heart attack. So it's really just pointing out that that was the cause instead of blaming the person for, um, for taking those steps when they were in a moment of despair. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think another thing I hear all the time is it's so selfish and, um, yeah. How can you talk on that a little bit?
2: Yeah. I have very strong feelings about that. Um, you know, this was something that I heard from my grandmother when I was much younger because there was suicide in her family of origin. Um, something I'd heard from other people and I have the, a very, very different view. Um, you know, I, I have have personally experienced moments when I've been suicidal. Um, and I feel like I can empathize with my brother um, and those who take that step. I think it comes from a place of being in such despair and hopelessness that there is truly no way out. There is no other way to stop the pain. Um, if you keep on living, that pain will keep on being there. And um, so, couple that like intense internal hopelessness and despair and pain with the belief that your existence is a burden on those you love. Um, Because, you know, if you get to that point, typically that's going to be associated with pretty low self-esteem or, you know, negative self-concept. And so you're in pain. You think that you're a burden on the people you love. And it's like, From that perspective, it's saying the world would be better off if I weren't here. So it's not, you know, I think if my brother had known how much pain it would have caused his loved ones and um, his friends, I, I truly don't think he would have, you know, even gone through with that. But when you're in that headspace, that's not something that would make sense, you know, um, you feel so low that thinking like, oh, someone would actually really be upset if I weren't here. That's like a, that's not a thought that's going on in your brain. Um, so I really think it it doesn't come from a selfish place. It comes from a place of, um, intense pain. And I think a misunderstanding of the role, or I guess, a a very limited perspective of what you think your role in others' lives are.
1: Yeah. It's like complete, it gets like this tunnel vision, you know? And, yes. um, yeah, it, it like hurts me every time someone says it's selfish. I'm like, you have no idea. Like, yeah. Yeah.
2: Like, yeah. And, um, I feel like there's enough attention on the topic at this point where you, if you could do a Google search on it, like, like, and educate yourself a little bit. I think you would realize how un- not selfish it is. Um, yeah, it, it makes me <laughs> makes me angry at times, yeah. or just uh, yeah.
1: so valid to feel that. I feel the same way when that happens. And I'm so happy to see your organization and more organizations out there. Like I almost like I'd say a handful of people in my podcast have been suicidal. You know, like there's so many people in my life. Like a lot of my friends have thought about it. Like a lot of people have had suicidal thoughts. Like it's not a rare thing.
2: Right. Which is a, I think, you know, kind of reflective on our culture and society. And I think that needs to be taken into account and hopefully addressed at a cultural societal level. And B, you know, I think it's, it can't be a moral judgment against someone, you know, it's, it's just for better or worse. It's a part of, our lived realities in this time
1: yeah it's 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 really sad too that like so many of us are experiencing these low lows and um and you like with will you had no idea he was even feeling that way and you guys were so close and so how do you take that with you in your relationships now so that you can help pe- like really uncover people's truths of where they're at mentally
2: that's a great question. Um, I think showing up with less fear on my side and more vulnerability, um, for me, it's always been easier to engage on this kind of level of let's have fun, let's go out, let's do things together and just like live that, you know, up, happy, fun life and not explore the lows that, um, you know, we may be experiencing. And I think at this point, I am not afraid to go there with other people. And, um, you know, I actively, I try to create space for others in the way that I live. And I try to, um, I, I don't want to make other people uncomfortable or, you know, push on things that they don't want to share. Um, but I would hope that um that I can offer a place where they do feel comfortable sharing um and open up those doors and let them know that it's okay. Um yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think that's it too. The very thing you said at the beginning is like being vulnerable yourself because that's where it really all begins. It's like once you express that, it's like, ah, someone's like, yes, like I actually feel that too, you know? And it gives them that permission. So, um, and you're just in general, so it's a good space holder. So, um, yeah, I really value that in you, but it's, yeah, it's just, it's sad that we aren't having these conversations and me and you both have had this dynamic of like, we are that happy person. We're that person that people come to that always has it together. And like we play that role a lot. And so, um, Coming to the truth of the reality of where we're at is really important. Um,
2: yeah. I agree. And I think letting people, you know, see that vulnerability, like showing up authentically, vulnerably, and then, you know, being okay having that exposed and having that be a part of who you are rather than just this, you know, someone who has it together, someone who's up. Um, because then I think it makes it more okay people feel more okay approaching you or um, feel like they'll have a better sense of that you'll be able to offer understanding because, you know, you've been through stuff too.
1: Yes. Yes. And that's a key thing is like, I've realized a lot of my life, like who hasn't been through something typical, like there's no one out there. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's so great when we can connect on that level because it's something like, as we're talking about, like, a lot of people don't talk about. And so they don't have anyone to talk about. And so, you know, it feels that loneliness. And so, but we can all connect on our pain. Like we've all had pain and
2: yeah. And I think it's going one step further. I think it's important to connect on our pain and allow others to help us hold our pain and give us support during those times. Like we are social creatures and um, I don't think that functions just on like a, you know, up, um, uh, surface level, you know, like having others just be there with us through our hard times can be so, so healing and helpful in and of itself.
1: Mm, yes. Yes. And, um, I'd love to touch on your relationship with alcohol. Cause that kind of ties in with you being in that uppity space. So tell us about that.
2: <laughs> that's, that's a very long relationship. <laughs> We had some really good times and some really bad times.
1: Yes, yeah.
2: <laughs> um yeah. So, my relationship with alcohol started when I was, you know, 15 or 16, kind of around that sophomore junior year of high school stage, more junior I think, but towards the beginning. Um and looking back, I think I drank socially, like I binge drank socially, but it was still, you know, like Friday nights, Saturday nights with friends. Um, and my mom was without going into too much detail. Um, that was something that was very challenging between the two of us. Um, and so there was kind of this dynamic of, you know, alcohol partying is bad in my household. And a lot of shame came with that. Um, but I also, I alcohol was a way for me to kind of get out of my social anxiety to maintain that, like everything's fun, everything's great kind of, um, persona. And I really stayed that way through college and after um, I started, you know, partying a lot more in college, um, introducing different drugs, uh, and partying, you know, maybe like four to five nights a week. Which, when I say it out loud, I'm like, oh, geez. But you know, I I felt like it was okay at the time. I felt like it was a lot, but it was okay. Um, I was young in my mind, and um, anyways. When it was, and it was definitely like, even during that time, it was definitely a release for me, you know, like if I could go out dancing for the night, get drunk enough to let, you know, all my perfectionist tendencies, self-judgment, social anxiety, just go, um, then I could actually have fun and, in order to reach that state, you know, like I said, I, I felt like I needed to be drinking um, because I felt so self-conscious most of the time otherwise. So that was kind of my relationship with alcohol um, during those years. And I moved to LA after college and that very much continued. Um, but I think, you know, I, my, Daily life was getting more stressful and um, i wasn't there wasn't a whole lot in my life that I found fulfilling um, so it kind of became like the, the the only way that I knew how to release and how to have fun was drinking and drugs um, so there wasn't much like else that was adding to that picture and then when will died, um, I really uh, that just destroyed me. Um, and it was kind of after he died that I view my, uh, drug use and my alcohol use growing increasingly concerning when I look back and, um, you know, I still, for the most part, able to hold it together at work. Um, you know, I, I worked hard. I tried to keep up a very appearance when I was there but I was you know blocking out a lot and still partying like five four or five nights slash days you know like days on Saturday and Sunday per week and um I was really really messed up about Will's death um and So take like this really low state, add alcohol to it, which provided a very temporary kind of release from, you know, my, I still had that sense of self-pressure. So self-pressure, sadness, grief, and um, it still provided that very temporary relief. But then, you know, the next morning, like the chemicals did do not affect really anyone well, you know? Like um, being hungover put me in an even more emotionally depleted state and more sadness, more hopelessness, more despair. And that pattern continued on to the point where, um, you know, I was waking up and actually having withdrawal symptoms of, you know, the shaky hands and this incredible sense of dread. And um, it was, it's like so painful to even like think about because it was just this, oh, it was awful. Um, And during, you know, the year before I got sober was when I had, you know, two, what I think of as like acutely suicidal times. And that was the first time was following a day out of binge drinking and doing cocaine and i came home and just started thinking about will and just all of this pain um but i had in the back of my head that you know i have to stay alive because i've seen the pain that suicide can cause so um i don't think i really told anyone about it that time um i did talk to my dad and he was like go to bed you'll feel better in the morning which i did but better was still pretty awful um and then the second time I woke up one morning just with that sense of overwhelming dread. And like, I just can't do life anymore. Like, this is non functional. I have no state of mind that is not depressed, anxious, feelings of dread, feelings of intense shame. That was just my daily cycle. And there was no break from that. Um, but, uh, you know, made it through that one too. You know, by the, end of, so this was kind of happening pretty steadily throughout the two years after Will died or, you know, not steadily, but it was like, it was in this cyclical thing of like getting worse and worse and worse and down and down. And by the end of those two years, I was at the point where I needed, um, alcohol most days to get through the day. Um, so that I was functional enough to show up for work. I wasn't, you know, shaky and withdrawing. Um, and finally, I was, I knew, I really knew that I couldn't go on living my life this way. I knew I had this feeling that something was going to happen. The other shoe was going to drop. Um, and finally, I It had, had a Rough 24 hours, um, I had a really rough Thursday night just with some family stuff. And then Friday morning I woke up and my car window had been smashed in and my computer had been stolen. And so I show up to work and I'm like, I'm, I had already been drinking um, so that again, I could just get through the day. And I ended up leaving work like around 4.30. Um, I had an empty vodka bottle in, the back seat when all of this went down. So I'm sure I drank that um, at points throughout the day. Uh, And I was driving home. um, I ended up rear ending a woman's car and thank God she was okay. Her car was okay, um, but my car was totaled. And I ended up spending most of that night in jail in the San Monica jail. And that was really kind of like the concrete consequence that I had been needing. Like I, there were consequences throughout my life that had going on that were gradually getting more extreme. Um, I felt physically like I looked very unhealthy, um, but nothing had really, I couldn't like pinpoint one thing and be like, oh, yep, that's why I need help. Um, Whereas this DUI was a very kind of clear concrete consequence. So I requested five weeks off from work and I'm so grateful to my employer for being okay with that. And um, I went to treatment, inpatient treatment for four weeks, came back to LA and uh, jumped straight into AA Um, started really practicing some of the things that I had learned in therapy. And two and a half years later, I'm still sober. So, um, and that journey has been one that was hard and filled with lots of learning opportunities, but it's also allowed me to live a life that I actually get joy from and feel fulfilled by and feel um like I want to be living
1: yeah wow thank you so much for sharing all that I mean yeah it's like such a journey it's been and um it's just like so tough you know it's like how do we we're not taught how to deal with pain and those emotions and like the numbing just feels so good because it's like I don't have to deal with anything and Um, and I don't have to be a burden on anyone. Like you, I find like when I'm in those states, like I feel so annoying or like such a burden to like share it with people. And so it's just like, let me just numb it. Like, um,
0: yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I know I've been struggling to find inner peace lately and thankfully I discovered OPEN, a mindfulness studio for everyone. As a yoga teacher, it's been difficult to find an online studio that actually shifts my well-being and wow, let me tell you, OPEN transforms your mind through body and breath in an immersive space designed to take you to the here and the now no matter where you are or where you begin. Open offers live and on-demand breathwork, meditation, yoga, and Pilates guided by the leaders in mindfulness, centered on music and rooted in community. Um, Hello, two of my favorite things, (laughs) and their aesthetics are mm, on point. So as always, I'm getting you the best of them. so I got you 30 days free. Just use the code Snuggles and let your ritual begin
2: now. kind of like I can fix this myself. So I'm going to do that. But then, you know, the solutions that we've been given like drinking or eating or other kind of escapist um, activities really end up, you know, bringing us to a more, I guess, painful place than where we started.
1: Yeah. And so what are some ways that people can, some healthier coping mechanisms?
2: I think, um, you know, there are a lot of different practices, but for me, the key thing was kind of changing how I perceive myself in the world. So it really started out with, um, you know, changing the way that I think about myself and kind of changing my thinking from black and white to understanding um, life more through relational standings. Um, so what I mean is like, like there's no objective, like right or wrong, or should do this, shouldn't do this. Everything is from someone's perspective, right? Like even, you know, our constitution, whatever it's been like written by people, it's from a certain perspective. So coming to that realization and changing the way that I perceive the world has been hugely helpful. Um, Learning about emotions for me has been really helpful because it's helped me to realize like emotions are a part of life and that, you know, we need them Um, and practicing things every day that bring me joy and make me feel healthy within my body and my mind. So for me, that means getting outside, at least for a little bit every day. Um, And then recently, I've decided I'm going to dedicate an hour every day to just doing something I enjoy. Um, Doesn't matter what it is, but just something that makes me happy. Um, I also need to connect with people regularly on a deeper level than, you know, I was when I was partying and flirting and whatever. Um and I need to be getting enough sleep and feeding myself enough food. Um, so those are kind of the basics. And then now when I feel more extreme emotions, the practices that I can actually do, um, are, they include for me a really great way to, um, work through emotions and kind of gain a different perspective on my own situation is through creating. Um, So I, I really love to paint. Um, I know people can find the same kind of um, release through writing, through creating music, Um, but just creating and getting into that part of my brain is really helpful. Um, Like I said, for me, exercising outside um, is really helpful if I'm going to the gym, it's still, you know, beneficial to get those endorphins. But for me, really having that connection with nature is pretty key. And, um, I would say, you know, like if I need to feel soothed, um, lighting a good smelling candle, maybe getting in the bath, maybe bringing myself into a meditative state, um, any of those kind of holistic practices that feel like I was aware of my whole life, but just really hadn't been, um, hadn't been taught to turn to those ways of coping. Um, but those practices, like they now they work for me. Um, so that's what I can recommend, but yeah.
1: Yeah. Thank you. It's so beautiful. And I'm so freaking proud of you for doing all those things and like, you know, making like, it's those small changes that make the biggest differences and like facing them, like being sober for that long is like so huge. And then, and then like sticking to it and like being like, okay, I'm going to deal with these emotions now. Like I've got this and making that shift is so, so big. So I'm really, really proud of you. Thank you for sharing those things. I think it's really important for people to know, because that's what I found the most struggling too, is like people saying these things, it's like, how, what are the action steps? You know? Um, I think nowadays, you know, it's more readily available, but still, you know, who knows what people are consuming. So as much as we can share the action steps, I think that's really important. And some other questions that were probably in my head is when supporting someone else, like I was thinking one, um, how to not get like upset at your friend, if they tell you where they're at and then being like, well, why didn't you tell me sooner? Like, why didn't you tell me this? You know, it's like, Yeah, let's just touch on that one first.
2: (laughs) Okay. Um, So I kind of felt this way, actually, after my brother died. It was like, why didn't he just call me? Like, it was right there. You know, why didn't he tell me sooner before all of this happened? Um, But, you know, I think when we think about that, what really comes into play is a sense of shame. Um, You know, I think our culture is one that uses shame frequently. Um, to kind of, uh, I don't want to say control, I think that's the wrong word, but we tend to shame people for doing behaviors or having thoughts or feelings that aren't necessarily, quote unquote, right. So, um, you know, if I'm going through my life and let's say I'm consuming my Instagram feed that just shows most of my friends, maybe a few other accounts, I'm seeing that, you know, all of their lives look really great. And here I am feeling pretty low about myself. Um, I'm also going to be like, well, my, I should be feeling that way. You know, everyone else is like, um, I should be feeling differently. Um, I should be able to pull myself out of this space. I should be able to practice these self-care tips and be Quote unquote again, fixed. Um, And for me, at least, I'll speak from my own perspective life doesn't work that way. But when we're piling on all of those shoulds, I think there's a huge sense of shame. And it's really hard to then break out of that shame and be vulnerable and say, you know, like, look, I have been feeling this way. You know, that's a, even if you trust your friends, even if you know they'll support you just like saying the saying the thing that you're so ashamed about out loud, um, that's something that's really hard to do. So I think, you know, for the friends who are hearing, um, you know, one of their friends may not be doing so well and it's like, why didn't you tell me sooner? Um, I would look at it the other way and, um, you know, look at it, at it as, this person trust your relationship enough to be telling you it all. Um, and I think that's something that is pretty huge because they're opening that, uh, you know, in internal box of shame and showing you this thing that is shameful to them and painful.
1: Yeah, I think that's there's yes, 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 yes to everything you said. And one, like shame lives in the silence. So, like, that's the biggest thing, like, knowing that as soon as you speak it out into existence, the shame, like immediately starts to dissipate. And, um, and two, it's like, so human nature to want to take everything personally and be like, well, you know, like, why didn't you tell me, like, this is about me, but really this whole thing is about them. So it's like, "Please, please, please remove yourself. Cause I've been in that situation so many times where I'm like, what? Like I'm here for you, you know, but it's not about you. It's about their process and their journey. And um, really, really putting yourself in their shoes because that is like one of the best times to do that. Um, right. And I think a third thing is, um, is maybe not sharing with someone because of how they'll respond and they'll try to fix you. Right. Um. And so not wanting to share with that kind of person. And I, <laughs> I used to be that person all the time. So I fully know that, 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 yeah, that response. Um. So, what is the best way to support a friend that is sharing something like this and how to not fix them?
2: That's a great question. Um, So if we're already at the point where your friend is sharing or this person is sharing with you, um, I think the first step is to validate, um, show empathy. So that can sound like, I'll give an example of what it isn't and what it is. Um, if someone's saying, you know, I've been feeling really hopeless and I don't want to be alive anymore. Um, everything in my life just sucks. Um, one thing that is invalidating that does not show that you're hearing them and hearing their pain is saying like, well, no, it's not like everything in your life. Like you have it together, you have this job and like, you know, taking what they're saying and arguing against it because this is just how they're feeling and their perspective. Um, so something that would be validating is saying, you know, I hear how hopeless you are right now. Um, do you want to talk about it? Like, I know uh, you're going through a lot in your life and um, let's say let's talk it out. Um, so just really showing that like you hear what they're saying and you're there with them. So I would say that's the first step. Um, and then I think asking questions non-judgmentally is, uh, can be very beneficial as well. So, um, you know, let's say this person is again saying that, you know, they're just stressed out at work and they got into a fight with their partner and um, they feel out of shape. Like, let's say those are the three things instead of asking a question like, well, do you have a gym membership? Um, you know, kind of trying to jump in and express your opinions through a question um is not necessarily the best way to do it or the way that would most help your friend. Instead, asking questions like, um, you know, tell me more about this uh fight with your partner. Um, what are you feeling as a result? So coming from a place of curiosity, non-judgmentalness, and empathy. Um, I think if you're concerned about suicide, asking that directly as a part of your questions, you know, are you, uh, have you been considering, um, you know, taking your own life? Do you, when you say you don't want to be alive anymore, have you taken the, how have you thought about a plan? Um, and kind of being direct to seek more information in that way, if they are considering, if they are, seriously on the suicidal kind of path Um, you know, getting the help that you need to support you in that moment to support your friend Um, really ultimately getting them the help they need is going to be very important. But if they're not, you know, just listening and sitting with them and oftentimes that's enough Um, listening, letting them talk it out, showing that you aren't there to judge Um, expressing empathy. Oftentimes that can be really healing for someone. Um, You know, if they do need those next steps, like let's say, uh, let's say for whatever reason, therapy enters the conversation, um, offering if, and when they're ready, and this is all about their timeline, um, you know, offering to uh, reach out to a couple therapists on their behalf, or you know, go with them to the first appointment or, you know, just showing that you support them also in them getting help. Um, cause that can be a scary thing as well.
1: Yes. 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 Thank you for all of that. I love, um, everything you said is so true. And it's like having grace too, like on this journey of opening that door to support friends with mental health. It's like, you're going to mess up. It's, It's okay. Like, yes Yeah. if you don't do the right thing you know but just like coming back to that key thing is just showing that you love them and you care like that is just remember that's all you got to do and listening is one of the best things like that's what most people just want most people just want to be heard like let's just like use an example of like an old grandma you go visit her a single grandma what does she want to do she just talks your ear off the whole time you know she just wants someone to listen to her and it's just like the same thing. It's just like, we all want to be heard. And it's just, you don't have to say anything. You don't need to say the right thing. Like it's just about listening. I think is be one of the most impactful things. And I also want to talk to you because you've helped me with this so many times about I've supported a lot of friends that have been suicidal and um, asking that question of, are you suicidal? Are you good thinking about taking your life? Like people think like, we shouldn't say that because then they're going to want to do it, but it's like, can you explain how that's not true?
2: So, um, if they are, let's say the answer to that question would be yes. They're already thinking about suicide. You know, So asking that question is only going to put both of you in a place where they can potentially get help. Um, if the answer to that question is no, uh, you know, suicide has always been on the table. Like there's no one, I, well, no one I know Um, within our peer group who doesn't know that suicide is a potential option that exists in the world, you know? Um, So by asking that question, you're not putting new ideas in their head. You're asking them a question so they can respond and tell you what place they're in. Um, And let's say, uh, yeah, the answer is no. Um, Great. you know, it's like, it's, it's not going to make them want to do it. Um, we're talking about like life and death. If someone is at the point where that is something they're contemplating, they've already been contemplating it and, um, suggesting that, uh, you know, dying is an option isn't going to want to, it isn't going to make someone who wants to live, want to not live, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think circling all the way back to the beginning, it's like, that shows you care that you care that they're going to take their life. It's like, you asking that gives them permission to say, yes, like I want to take my life. And you're there to be like, I love you. And I don't want you to take your life. I care about this, you know? And so it's like, that opens that huge door of showing like the whole point they're wanting to do this is because they feel like no one cares about them. And what, you know, there's other reasons, but that's the the core of most of it is feeling so alone. And yeah, this is like actually a great invitation. Mm Hmm. Yeah. Ah <laughs> well, thank you so so much. I'm gonna have to have you on because there's so much more to talk about. Um
2: I could talk for hours. I know. And I
1: really am grateful for you for um for opening up this door and for sharing everything because I mean I know I know most of it, but still it's so nice to share with more people because it's so important and so many people are struggling with mental health and especially right now, like it's only getting worse with all this COVID stuff and um mm-hmm this isolation and like different views and all these things. So it's, it's definitely challenging, but yeah. So if people want to find you or talk to you or like, what are you up to tell them, tell them.
2: So you can follow me personally on Instagram at Casey, K A -S S E Y T two, three. Um, you can follow the scooty fund at the scooty like scoot. Um, at the Scooty Fund on Instagram, we're now on Twitter. Um, so those are our main platforms. But yeah, feel free to reach out. Also, anytime I am always so happy to talk mental health. Happy to be a listening ear.
1: So yes, and have your own boundaries. <laughs> yes,
2: <laughs> practice my own boundaries in- and. <laughs>
1: But also, yeah, definitely check out the Scooty Fun. There's so much great information that they share on their stories and like the lives they do are amazing or whatever, the story takeovers. Like there's always people sharing their stories on there. And I feel like storytelling is such a great way to connect with others. So thank you so much. I love you so
2: much. I love you. And Lex, just one more thing. Um I just want you to know like you have been the person who helped me through so many of those hard times. So For anyone listening, I just thank you.
1: (laughs) You as well, girl. (laughs) You as well. So I love you. you.